0: Welcome back. We have another amazing show for you today. Today, it's all about women in healthcare. These are two of our exceptional women awardees who are just gonna knock your socks off. They're fabulous. We have Dr. Hindi Stoll. She's an obstetrician, gynecologist, and also a lawyer. She is the head of maternal fetal health at Harbor UCLA, and a clinical assistant professor at USC, as well as at UCLA. She's got lots to tell us about medicine and the law. She also gives expert testimony in medical legal cases. That should be interesting. And we have Amy Towner. Amy is the Chief Executive Officer of the Healthcare Foundation for Ventura County, which is one of our very important areas here in Southern California. I'm Lorraine Siegel. I'm the Chairman, Founder, and CEO of the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. Why did we start this foundation? Well, as a woman growing up in uh, South Africa and then in this country, I never had a mentor. And I was a woman who walked the road less traveled. And so early in my career as a lawyer and then as, as a CEO of a number of different companies in startup and more emerging companies, and also then as a board director, I never had a mentor and I always wanted one. And so I decided to set up with the help of other women in the group the Exceptional Women Awarded Foundation, women who walk the road and have traveled, and women who we mentor for the rest of their lives. And so let's get right to it. I'm gonna go straight into a question for Hindi. So Hindi, you have an amazing background. I want you to go back to the early days because I think you grew up in New York, right?
1: Thanks, Lorraine. Good evening. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, you're right. I actually was originally born in Philadelphia and then grew up in a tiny bit in Philadelphia, St. Louis and New York, and then out in Los Angeles. Um, Did my schooling out here and studied in Israel. Um, Actually uh, received a teaching certificate when I was there, and then came back to the States to do college. Um, After college, I was really at a crossroads. I had always loved medicine, always thought about going into medicine, but really loved education. So I actually was a teacher in high school uh, before pursuing medicine directly. And um, I taught chemistry and Judaic studies, kind of marrying my interest in medicine and health and science with my background (laughs) as an Orthodox Jewish woman. I decided at that point, um, I loved education um, and decided I was gonna merge education, but continuing on with my passion for medicine. And so I did indeed go to medical school loved women's health, always wanted to work with women, women of all ages, and uh, landed in obstetrics and gynecology. And because I was so fascinated with pregnancy, I decided to sub in what's called maternal fetal medicine.
0: hindi oh, we've got so much more to ask you, but I have to go to Amy, because Amy, you have walked the road less traveled. And uh, although I've known you for years and seen your progress, Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today and and also go back many years so that we can know what the thought process to get you to this amazing point of success was.
2: Yes, Lorraine, it was a journey and a journey in so many different areas like construction and finance and uh, lots of different areas and also um, many startups. So I started as an entrepreneur And I started my first startup when I was 23. And it was successful and sold that company to one of my customers because I had all three of my children. And I then went and many of the women listening might be able to, you know, this might resonate with them. I ended up being a stay at home mom and wife for 15 years and came out of that, of course, cherished journey. And again, went right back into the workforce and ended up actually getting my position here because of my time volunteering, believe it or not. So I was volunteering for the county health and hospital system, and it was through my volunteering that I ended up uh, co-founding and starting healthcare foundation for Ventura County, of which I'm the CEO. So again, a lot of t- times women don't feel like they have the option, and I wanna encourage all women that you know there are different ways.
0: Now that's so very poignant at this time, Amy, because now there are hundreds of thousands of women who have left the workforce and are trying to survive, not only with COVID in their families, but also homeschooling their children and so many other things. And it's become quite a, a, a pandemic of its own, in fact, in the employment sector. So. What words do you have to encourage these women who have become stay-at-home moms, really not by choice, but because of COVID, what would you tell them and how do they get themselves back into the workforce?
2: As hard as, as it is, Lorraine, it's always important to keep up your skills, stay sharp, sharpen the blade, so definitely um, stay plugged in, and also this is also I think COVID has given us a time to reconnect with what we're passionate about. And if I could look back upon my my journey, the one thing that I all that it stands true across the continuum is I was passionate about what I was doing, and I was connecting with people that were good people that I enjoyed working with and very mission minded. So I would really encourage those women to stay networked, like what we have in EWA and also to keep up with the skills because they are constantly changing in this technological revolution that we're under right
0: now. And the good thing is that you can do these things online and remotely so that uh, even when you're exhausted at night and finally the children are in bed, you can actually go online and, and upskill or reskill yourself, although it's not easy and it's certainly uh, very stressful for these women right now. So Hindi, you uh,
1: were at, I think you are at Columbia, is that correct? For undergraduate, yes. And then where did you go to medical school? I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia for medical school.
0: Okay, so that's where you did your residency in OBGYN or was that somewhere else?
1: So yeah, that was somewhere else. I was in Baltimore. So I kind of did, I always say I did the Amtrak line. I started out at Columbia in New York, then UPenn in Philadelphia, and then I did my uh, residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore.
0: You know what a phenomenal background you have, Hindi. Really. So you. now, you're at Harbor UCLA. So tell us a bit about that environment and how how did you end up there? And what is your job every day? What do you what do you actually do every day?
1: That's a great question. Thanks, Lorraine. You know Harbor UCLA is an amazing hospital. A really wonderful place to be. Wonderful place to work and a wonderful place uh, to receive care. We are the county hospital that is academically affiliated with UCLA. So there are a number of hospitals run by the County of Los Angeles, and we are the one that's academically affiliated with UCLA, physically located in Torrance, and we open our doors to anyone. Anyone who needs care for any sort of health condition can come right on in, and we provide that care. So primarily, our population are um, indigent or underserved, but it really can be anybody uh, who needs who needs to see a doctor.
0: And so, what do you do every day, Hindi?
1: I, as a high-risk obstetrician, I actually feel really fortunate. I am able to be in the clinic setting, so I take care of high-risk pregnant women. I do their clinical care. I uh, do ultrasounds. I'm, I'm a consultant to our midwives or our regular OBGYNs. And I also have a chance to be on labor and delivery where we provide full service care to women who are here uh, because they have a labor and delivery concern, maybe just a question or um, they're not sure about something that might be going on or because they're actually in labor and they're going to be having a baby. Um, And I also get to go to the operating room, whether it be for a C-section or certain high-risk procedures, things like circlages. So it's really fun because I get to be in multiple different environments.
0: So before we go to Amy, what is a high-risk pregnancy? Does it mean that anybody over 40 is a high-risk pregnancy or are there other reasons?
1: That is a great question. Um, And you know, a lot of people do think that high-risk means I'm just over 35. So I would say to all those women out there who are contemplating a pregnancy, you are not high risk just because you are what we call advanced maternal age. Uh, it's, It's one of the things that bother me most in obstetrics that we call women old at the age of 35, but be it as it may, that's what it is, but that doesn't make you high risk. You're high risk if there is a real medical issue with the mother or the baby. So maybe if you've got twins or triplets, maybe if you've got lupus or a cardiac condition, something that's really um, different and, and a medical concern or obstetric concern for mom or baby.
0: Yeah. So, and we'll come back to you because I know you have twins and also Amy has twins, although uh, your twins, Hindi, I think are two and Amy's are in their 20s. So, Amy, let's go to you for a moment about COVID because you joined the COVID task force at the Ventura Hospital System. Tell us a little bit about how that happened, when it happened and what you actually do on that task force. Sure, Lorraine. The uh, incident command team actually comes
2: together in some type of emergency. So it could be an earthquake or a train crash. It could be anything like that, that we need to pull the team together for an acute matter. We came together uh, in March when the pandemic broke out and it's the COVID, the incident uh, command, the incident command team is actually comprised of hospital leadership, uh, the healthcare agency leadership, medical, uh, our doctors, nurse administration, maintenance. It is a whole host of uh, public information officer, how we're getting out information. And we acutely work together on how to prepare in in the time of, a, of an incident. And so we, normally we don't have the incident command team that goes on for a year, but we are coming up on a year and we work on hospital policies and we're getting information from the state and from the federal government And we're having to implement all of those for the continuity of care for our patients and the safety of our patients and our employees. And I can say it's really been an honor and a pleasure to be able to serve on that team. Dr. Dr. John Fankhauser is our CEO and was on the front lines when Ebola broke out in Liberia. So you can imagine how wonderful we all felt knowing he was there with us when this pandemic broke out because he knew firsthand what it was like in Liberia to go through something like this. So
0: So Amy, I remember that you did something to do with meals. Could you tell us how that happened? I'm not quite sure. There was another charity that you plugged in in order to get the first responders meals. Could you talk about that? Yes, World
2: Central Kitchen, Lorraine, and during in the very beginning, we didn't know how fast COVID would hit and what type of trajectory we would have. And so we were playing out scenarios in the incident command team, and we realized that our food supply for the hospital comes from Los Angeles, and Los Angeles was growing at a far greater rate than Ventura County. And it dawned on us when we looked at how that trajectory was going to go, that we may not have enough food for, we would, our first priority, of course, is patients, but we wouldn't be able to feed our workers and our workers we knew would be working around the clock and all of our restaurants were closed. So we part, we called world central kitchen and they came and to our rescue. They showed up on our our campus within three days and deployed thousands and thousands of meals, one meal a day for our workers. In In the event that things were going to get out of control, we had a system set up where we could deploy on our campus, I think it was 1300 meals a day. And uh, so this just shows you the the power of public-private partnerships, because we just simply didn't know if those trucks weren't able to get the food to our hospitals, how are we going to take care of our patients and our staff and everyone? So it's moments like this that you realize how fragile the situation is, and also, you know, and this is another thing with COVID is how stressed the supply chain and how fragmented the, tr- the supply chain really is during a time like this.
0: Now, there's no doubt that there's going to be a complete redesign of supply chain uh, activities uh, in every aspect, but certainly in pharmaceuticals and in healthcare as well. But Amy, you did more than that. Uh, as I recall, you actually got to the local restaurants and partnered with them. Can you give us a few beats on that? Um, that's right,
2: Lorraine. That's an important part. So when World Central K- Kitchen came They had already been to Long Beach and had deployed there. And I said, if you come here, part of the health of our community is making sure that the people are healthy, too. So if you come, will you teach our restaurants how to prepare safe food? Because we don't want that food to infect our workers, our frontline workers. And so they pivoted their operation, went out, engaged our local restaurants and our caterers and other wonderful, amazing local um, businesses and taught them the best practices. And they were able to sustain their operations and keep their operations going. And this is really what health is all about. It's not just what we're getting in the hospital, but it's the overall health and wellness of our entire community, including the economy. So it was, it was a, they loved it and we loved it. Our community loved it. And so it was a win-win all the way around. And that's what we like.
0: I love that. That's such a wonderful story, Amy. Kudos to you. That's amazing. So Hindi, have you seen in the maternal fetal health area, have you seen women coming in with COVID who are either pregnant or have had babies?
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, the first, the first wave, actually not quite as much, Uh, but this most recent wave, you know, we really went into surge mode, the whole hospital. So, you know, I have to say, Amy, thank you. I know I don't work in Ventura County, but it's people like you and organizations like what you did that really helped make what we do on a day to day basis. So functional because yeah, we were in, um, we were really in a surge. There were, we were, people were redeployed to areas where they don't normally work. Uh, We had doctors working, kind of doing certain nurse duties because the nurses had to be pulled to so many places. There were ERs turned into ICUs. Um, There were regular units turned into like ERs or ICUs. We were seeing patients on labor and delivery who weren't even pregnant uh, because that was the only place for them to go. So we certainly were um, in surge mode and we had quite a lot of patients, including pregnant women, pregnant or postpartum who had COVID. Thankfully, most of the women who are pregnant are young and are usually on the healthier side. So most most did fine. Um, A lot of our women were actually able to just have COVID and be at home. But we had had quite a number of women who were hospitalized and we even actually had one woman uh, who didn't make it.
0: Wow, that's terribly sad, terribly sad. So uh, to pivot to something a little different, so you are so well credentialed Hindi, you are so talented, and you wanted to become a lawyer as well, why?
1: Lorraine, you're just too kind, (laughs) you're just too kind. I, so, you know, the more I did obstetrics, um, the more I realized that I wanted to learn about the law because I wanted to help doctors, uh, help nurses, help hospitals. I started my law degree. So back up, most people who'd have an MDJD like I do, ha- did it kind of jointly. There's an MDJD program at their med school slash law school and they sort of do it you know, in five years. Um, I did it a bit of a circuitous route. I did my standard medical training and then my obstetrics and gynecology residency and then a a fellowship in high risk OB. And and then at the end of my fellowship, I said, you know what? I told my husband, thought I was crazy, um, but I said, I really wanna go to law school because I wanna help empower hospitals and doctors and nurses to take the best care of patients they can without being so scared of the liability because I want them to practice good medicine and not defensive medicine. Wow,
0: that is an amazing mission to be on, Hindi. I applaud you. What an amazing undertaking. So I know we have some questions uh, which are waiting to come in. And thank you all for putting in your questions. We'll try and get to as many as we can. Let's see. Oh, look, there's uh, one for you, Hindi. So in our community. This is an interesting one. Many doctors who used to deliver babies now only do the gynecology side, not the obstetrics, dealing with women in their later years, sort of post-baby making. What's going on?
1: Jennifer, thank you so much for that question. You know, I i, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna conjecture. I don't wanna speak for other people. Everybody has their own independent reason as to why they make certain career choices. I will tell you two sort of general um, ideas that are in the field of obstetrics and gynecology. One is that obstetrics honestly as a lifestyle can be fairly taxing, Um, especially for folks who are in solo practice or small group practices to have to run out in the middle of the night on weekends at your kid's piano recital. Whenever that baby is coming, that baby is coming, and so it can be hard for them. And so at a certain point, some people choose to sunset that aspect of their career and focus on gynecology, which is a lot more scheduled.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, absolutely does. So there's another question there, which, um, which is very interesting and that's from Jose. And Amy, this is such an important question. Are there many people who are not getting the vaccine, who could get the vaccine? And what are your thoughts on that?
2: So this is an interesting uh, question, Jose. Uh, There are many populations that have questions and fear around the vaccine. And I have to say in Ventura County, I know LA County um, and across the nation, we're working really hard to make sure that we get um, information out to those populations perhaps, in their language so that they better understand. We put providers that maybe speak that language so that they feel very, very connected. And there are a lot of people who have 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 really intrepidation about it. But I really think as a nation, we are going to, to move past that. Um, if you look at all the different diseases and some of the diseases we've eradicated with vaccines. And so I think through good education and our doctors really working in their communities, like Hindi and I both work at, you know, public health care systems. And now more than ever, you're seeing the value of those public health care systems and how they really change the health inequities that are going on and being able to educate all the different populations on how to live a healthy
0: lifestyle so that they can make good decisions for themselves. Absolutely. And we have another question also from LinkedIn, which is really interesting. So uh, it's from Judy. And she says, after a year of dealing with a pandemic, Judy, I love this question. Can you each comment on the areas that have changed the most due to COVID, which could be personal or professional? All right, <laughs> go for it.
2: Great. Judy, thanks for that question. A uh, couple things. I, I definitely think that COVID, what COVID has done is it attacks our humanity. It attacks our humanity because we can't shake hands, we don't hug, um, our face is covered by a mask. And I think that that's been really hard on us. So I think COVID has really attacked our humanity. And I think, like I said before, COVID has really changed our supply chain. Never ever in America, at least in my lifetime, have we ever seen uh, not being able to just get simple basic needs, you know, masks and, Um, basic medical needs and some food, there are different things that we are not able to get in our supply chain. And never have we ever seen something like that.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And and Hindi, what about in your life? And I know that you have eight beautiful little boys, and uh, certainly they take up a lot of your time as well as all the careers that you had. But what have you seen personally has actually changed for you?
1: I think, yeah, thanks Lorraine. I, I do love my little, actually I've been so little, one is 13, um, but the boys. And I think that actually what COVID to put a positive spin on a very challenging time, I think it has brought innovation and it has brought us back to the core values You know, we are not having those huge social gatherings. And so we have to remind ourselves is what's important about family time and who are those people with whom you have to connect and how are you gonna connect with them? So we're innovative. We've used platforms like we're doing now with live LinkedIn that can stream. We've used Zoom. We have had a chance to at work to keep up all of our education for our trainees, for our doctors, to connect uh, via Zoom, or to talk to our patients with videos, with um, patient portals. So we've really had a chance to innovate and stay true and rethink what exactly are the core values so that we can always make sure that those are preserved. And that would be in a career and as a mom and as just a woman and a person.
0: Yeah, So, so Hindi, both you and Amy, are women of faith and although in uh, the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation we have two subjects we do not talk about, one is politics and one is religion, but I think being a person of faith, not any particular religion, is certainly very much part of many of our EWAs. So Hindi, how does faith play a part in your life, professionally and personally?
1: I think the way that for me, faith has been is that, you know, again, especially during a pandemic time, I very, from my heart, believe that everything happens for a reason. I don't always understand the reason. Maybe I don't always agree with the reason or it's emotionally hard to be able to stomach it, but I really fundamentally believe that there is always a rhyme and reason to everything that happens. And the amount of devastation we have seen in this pandemic is just heart-wrenching. Um, I have personally had many family friends. Both of my parents' best friends um, have lost best friends of theirs. It's, it's been horrible. But I will say that at the same time, I know that there is a reason to all of this. And hopefully, you know, a lot of good is going to come. A lot of, um, again, innovation, a lot of rejuvenation, a lot of family, a lot of connection, a lot of refocusing on what's important.
0: Absolutely. And Amy, you are also a woman of faith. And uh, tell us a little bit about how that plays a role in your life.
2: Indeed. Uh, I would have to agree with Hindi. I do believe that Mm -hmm. my deep sense of faith as a Christian for me Every day, it's like I'm. I, there is a power greater than myself that holds me, and there is an amount of um, serenity and calm and hope that is is enveloped in that. And just like Hindi said, there is a. Um, a certain amount of comfort and leaning into the ambiguity of not really understanding. A lot of times we don't understand why these things are happening, but there is a sense of hope and calm that comes with knowing that it's all going to be okay and we're going to make it through and we're going to find a better way together. And that is one of the nice parts of, you know, working alongside others that, you know that are that are that you know that you're working towards a bigger purpose and it's there is a reason like Hindi said
0: and we don't always understand but we can trust and I later. love that. I love that. So we have one minute for each of you or even a little bit less. Um, I want to know how and Hindi will go to you how do you manage being a mother of eight children, a very active spouse and also active in the community and a professional. How are you doing that? Because you must have the
1: secret sauce? I wish. I wish. <laughs> um, I think really it's enjoying everything you do. Um, people told me a long time ago to go into dermatology because won't that be a, you know an easier lifestyle? But I love OBGYN. Um, people told me maybe don't have so many kids, but I love my family. And you know what? I think as long as you love what you do and you love who you are and you're proud of all of, of the you know, abilities that we've been given and bestowed, then you can really make anything happen.
0: Now, that's so true. And I love those little munchkins. I mean, each one of them is so adorable. I must definitely try and steal one of them next time you come up. <laughs> uh, Amy, you have three adult, gorgeous children, gorgeous children. Tell me how you manage being a fabulous mom and a professional and everything you do in the community as well.
2: Yeah, I would agree with Hindi again. You know, it's really giving 100% the entire way and enjoying each and every year as it comes. And I would have to wholeheartedly agree with exactly what Hindi said. And when you're passionate and you love the people you're around and really give 100% to your family, there's really no regrets And I would say that, you know, I'm my three children are my greatest joys and they are, if if they were in a lineup, I would choose them. I mean, that's a, it's a nice feeling once you get to this point, because the honest to goodness truth is you, there's no instruction manual. We don't know how we're doing until they get older. I love um, that. If (laughs) your
0: kids are in the lineup, you choose them. Amy, I love it. You definitely have to have your kids watch the show if they aren't already (laughs) and tell them they are chosen. There's no question. You know, I love having both of you on the show. It's been so much fun, so much to learn from both of you. We'll have to have you back. And thank you so much for your time and for your expertise. We have another great show coming just in a week or two. We are going to feature a professor of marketing from the Wharton School of Business, and that is Professor Jonah Berger. He is a true superstar. He is not only a great lecturer, but he is also an author of three amazing books. He is going to talk about his latest book, which is called Catalyst. I have listened to it on Audible. It is spectacular, and it helps you change people's minds. Boy, do we like to do that. In addition to that, he's written another book uh, called Contagion, How to Make an Idea catch on quickly which all of us want to do and another book which is called Invisible Influence again about influencing. So please join us for Jonah's show it's going to be terrific and also let me remind you that I always have a challenge for you and this is a serious one this time. I want to know if you have delayed any of your healthcare visits because of COVID please let us know. My email is up on the screen and I hope you email us. Thank you so much for being with us. This was a great show. We'll see you next time. Bye now.